We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining us over my co-host, Nick Pilato, who helped me out today and filled in for me. Did a little solo pod action for the Senior Bowl recap. Unfortunately, work has been crushing me a little bit tough lately, so I haven't had time to do everything. But I wanted to get in this one because I did want to touch on some hot topic stuff with the Giants. Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator hiring. Patrick Graham interviewing elsewhere now. Who knows what's going to happen with that? That's pretty interesting to me. And we did say we want to break down some concepts and some stuff that we liked from Brian Dayball on film. Some of the Dayball film. Now, I know and Nick knows things are going to be different with the Giants. He has said himself he's going to craft a system that fits Daniel Jones. He's even said himself in the past he crafted the system specifically in Buffalo to fit Josh Allen. Like That was for Allen. I don't think they're going to be identical systems, but I think there's going to be similar concepts. And there's things that we can take away from the film that they can use, the Giants, they can steal. That's what good teams do. They steal good stuff. And things that he's going to rely on that work, that will work for Josh Allen, but they're also going to work for Daniel Jones or maybe any other quarterback. So we'll touch on that as well. Um, but one thing we do want to do to start, we did we, we, we don't want to completely bury uh, the Brian Flores situation. Obviously, the Giants are named in the, in, the, in the lawsuit. But what we decided is until information comes out, more information comes out on that, and that lawsuit gets filled out, you know, we wouldn't be doing it any justice by discussing it. So... We're going to just leave it at that. Obviously, if there there are people who you can go to that would give you more details on the situation. Unfortunately, I apologize to anyone who wanted to hear those takes, but there are people who can probably deliver better takes than that. So, Nick, how are you doing today? And, and give me, because I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet since I've been so swamped. I actually have a drive coming up uh, tomorrow morning, so I'm excited to dive into your thoughts on the Senior Bowl then. But give me a couple key takeaways or one key takeaway from the Senior Bowl week or maybe one prospect you got your eye on now that you're like, I really want the Giants to get him. There are plenty of prospects I go over. I go over each position group 
of the Reese's Senior Bowl. I think Zion Johnson is definitely somebody a lot of Giant fans are discussing. A lot of Giant fans kind of want to land him in that early second round range. I don't think that's going to be possible after the Senior Bowl. I love just how fluid he is as an athlete. You need to be able to unhinge your hips. You need to be able to take on pass rushers who are crossing your face and have that kind of lateral agility, hip mobility, and all of those lower body traits to really kind of be a modern interior offensive lineman. You need to be a good athlete for that position. And Zion Johnson has all of those traits. And I also think the defense just was phenomenal, specifically the defensive front. UConn's Travis Jones, I never watched anything on this individual. And then he went down to the Senior Bowl and just stamped his name on the map. Oklahoma's Perrion Winfrey as well. He was exceptional. And there were just so many prospects that I ended up diving into throughout the entire week of practice. So please check that out. It's the episode right before this one. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on Zion because he's the hot name. He's, you know, it's interesting. He came from that triple option offense, which I think ultimately kind of helped craft who he is, especially as a run blocker. I think he's kind of better there, though he is, you know, I've read some great things about him in pass protection as well. So I am definitely intrigued to see what goes on with that. And if he is a player that's on their radar, if he even makes it to round two, like that's, it's possible he won't. He played a little left tackle. He played a lot of guard. He, I, I read something, I think it was from, Giants fan in Charlotte who said who tweeted something about how he um, wants to play center at the next level because he wants to control the line of scrimmage. And so obviously he has high ambitions and he's somebody who I'm really interested in seeing uh, as we move forward. Same here. And I think when it comes to him wanting to play center, it's because he wants to set protections and he wants to kind of command the mental part of the game. And this is somebody who stayed after every practice to work on a snapping because he didn't play center at Boston College. So you see the work ethic there. You know coaching staffs are going to eat that up. He has the athletic profile. He has length. He has good-sized hands. So there's a lot to like about Zion Johnson, and he's going to probably continue to rise, especially if he nails the combine out of the park. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. All right, let's dive into the first thing, which is the news of Mike, Mike Kafka obviously coming over as the coordinator for the New York Giants. What are your first thoughts uh, and your initial thoughts on Kafka? So we at the Big Blue Banter podcast, we were really high on Pep Hamilton. Mark Schofield came on and spoke about Pep Hamilton a few weeks back, actually a few months back. And we loved the idea because we saw what Pep Hamilton did with Justin Herbert. We've seen his offensive concepts at a variety of different spots. And when he has a quarterback with, you know, marginal to adequate talent, he usually gets the most out of that quarterback. But the Giants didn't go in that direction and they went with Kafka. And I remember Kafka when he was a player. This isn't somebody with a uh, huge coaching background. This is somebody who just started coaching recently. He retired from football after a stint, a small stint with the Bengals in 2015. He went right to his alma mater, Northwestern, was a GA there in 2016 before going to Andy Reid, the coach that drafted him back in 2010 with the Philadelphia Eagles, to be the offensive quality control coach at Kansas City. And then he was a quarterback's coach from 2018 to 2019 before coming the passing game coordinator and the quarterback coach in one of the most potent passing offenses in the league. Now, obviously, they have Pat Mahomes. He's one of the best talents we've ever seen play the position. But Kafka helped kind of bring him along when he came out of Texas Tech, because remember, Patrick Mahomes, there's a reason he wasn't the first overall pick. He had all the traits in the world, but he was a mess mechanically. And he still kind of is, you know what I mean? But he's able to overcome that because Andy Reid allows him to, to play in a sense that makes him feel comfortable. But the fact that Kafka is in a system, an offensive system with one of the brightest offensive minds, Andy Reid, 
that really gives me a nice warm and fuzzy feeling, Dan, because I love the fact that we have all of these bright offensive minds and not the Jason Garrett's of the world. You get Brian Dayball coming from Buffalo, bright offensive mind. We've seen him adjust. We've seen him do excellent things for Josh Allen. Now you get Mike Kafka to come in. He did the same with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City under the tutelage of Andy Reid. Now, he's never been an offensive coordinator before. He's never called plays. That can give you a little pause, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, Kafka, Kafka, we'll, we'll go over this, I'm sure, m- multiple times. It could be the new Devante, Devonta, Freeman debate. But as far as Kafka goes, I feel like he wasn't our first choice, but he's still somebody I'm intrigued by because I think what he's going to do is bring some of those concepts over from Kansas City. And I think why Dayball liked him so much is because he can use that. They can steal plays. It's all you should, like, it's, it's fine. Good teams are stealing plays these days and concepts winning offensive concepts. And so he'll obviously be able to bring over different ways that have worked for players like Tyreek Hill, or, you know, you don't know, it could be Travis Kelsey. There's a possibility that giants can go out and get some kind of big time tight end. We don't know anything about that yet either. So there's obviously a lot to like about Kafka coming over. I feel like there's a good chance that he will bring over a different mindset or a different point of view than what Dave all has on some things, which is good because you don't need the same, you know, you want, different voices in the room now my question for you would be would you so obviously we know he hasn't called plays right he's been behind the enemy and obviously Andy Reid there and Andy Reid calls the plays there and I believe that's mostly Andy Reid's offense but he's learned from them would you be in would your preference be Nick that the Giants should allow him to call plays for the first time or they should and then have Brian Dayball kind of be that you know coach that just oversees things or continue to have Dayball call plays with the Giants I think Joe Shane wants Dayball to be the head guy, be the head coach, not have to call plays. I think that's been expressed. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I like the chain of command of having an offensive coordinator control the offense and the head coach kind of control the entire game. But I can't weigh in on Mike Kafka's ability to call plays because I haven't seen anything quite yet. So I don't want to rule him completely out. But at the same time, if Dayball feels like their best chance to win is him calling plays, I don't want to necessarily poo-poo that either. So I don't really yeah. necessarily have an opinion on either or. I think in an ideal world, I would like Kafka to call plays, but I'm not sure if he's quite there yet. It's interesting because although Shane did say that, Brian Dayball himself was like, look, the two quarter, the two coaches calling play, uh, the two coaches in the Super Bowl right now are calling plays. So I don't know if it's a necess- necessity to have them not call plays. For me, I do have a clear... I guess, uh, opinion on it, Nick, I want Dayball to call the plays. I think the giants are going to be in a better position. If somebody who has the experience calling the plays, somebody who's play calling mix, I like, and I've seen is doing it. I know it's taking him away from some of the head coaching responsibilities, but in the same case can be made about Andy Reed or, uh, you know, Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or, uh, Zach Taylor, the four coaches who are just coaching in the championship game. So I think it's, Upside either way, like the upside to going with Kafka is he could be really good as a play caller, and then you have Dayball overseeing things. The upside to Dayball is he could be really good as a play caller and an overseeing head coach like these other four who made it to the championship game. So I think there's upside in both. There's a ceiling for both, but I feel like the floor is definitely much higher, in my opinion, with Dayball, somebody who's done it, versus Kafka, somebody who we haven't seen do it. I like that take as well. With Dayball calling plays, and I I was... You know, very interested when we dove into his film. We'll get into that in a little bit. But there were a lot of reports out of Buffalo around midseason when the Buffalo Bills kind of struggled a little bit offensively and they were losing to like the Jacksonville Jags and everything like that. That there was some contention between 
McDermott and Dayball there because McDermott really wanted them to run the football more and Dayball was a little bit more adverse to that. Now, I don't know if that was philosophical or personnel-based because Devin Singletary, I think he was dealing with some injuries there and he hadn't yet broke out, but I believe that is an interesting thing to monitor when Dayball becomes the head coach and if he is the play caller, if he does kind of stray away from the rungs. That's definitely one concern that I had from Brian Dayball's just ability to call the play is that he seemed to abandon the run sometime and become a little bit too one-dimensional. And it's interesting because we'll probably always see a little bit different on that one, Nick, because I I know what you mean. I, I don't want I don't love the idea of becoming too one-dimensional, obviously, but I do think there are ways to use the passing game as an extension or use the passing game as an extension of your run game. And it almost negates the pass rush at that point, depending on how you design it to get the ball out quickly. I think that's been Dable's mindset. I remember him talking last year after he won offensive coach of the year about not running the ball just to run the ball. He doesn't really believe in running the ball for a percentage balance. Um, and he views it as we just need to get more efficient. And I think part of it was not only just the injury to Singletary. It's just that line. Like that Bill's line is not very good. It's capable. It's what we hope the Giants can get to for next year. But it's not the ultimate goal. And I'm sure Joe Shane and Brandon B would tell you that themselves. They want a better offensive line than that. That's not a top 10. It's really not even a top 12 unit. It's a serviceable unit. And they're not really good run blocking. And they use a lot of, like you, like we've talked about and we'll talk about again, 10 personnel and 11 personnel and spread-based concepts. It's it's not necessarily, you know, designed for, you know, running the football. Though I would argue you could probably – some pe- some teams can run the ball even better when it's spread out because you take a lot of the guys out of the box. But I think part of that is also McDermott. He's a defensive-based coach, and I think he wanted to have a specific – type of game plan and game and style of offense. And also look, they had, they had figured out Josh Allen to an extent at some point in the year that changed, obviously, you know, Dayball, Josh Allen got together and they figured things out and they adjusted, but they were playing a lot of cover too. in those two high shells. And they were just at that time stopping Josh Allen for, for a period of time. Um, but that obviously changed. The reason I bring up the running the football is because there were reports about some sort of contentious nature between McDermott and Brian Dayball that were kind of floating around. And I think a big reason why McDermott wanted him to run the football was possibly to to stop these defenses from dropping into such deep zones with those two high safety looks to possibly create more explosive opportunities as well. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I don't I know that's always like the idea. I don't know how often that actually happens though. Like when you start to go ahead and run the football, I don't know if they the defenses always tend to play you any differently. Like look at the Chiefs, for example. That that same thing was happening in Mahomes at one point in the season, but you didn't see really the defenses adjust their base. I think with some of these quarterbacks like Allen and and, and Mahomes, they're just like, screw it, run the ball. We don't care. We'll give up four, five yards, six yards. One, will you stick to it enough to really punish us with it, which we didn't see the Chiefs do. Like Part of the reason the Chiefs lost to the Bengals is because they were giving them the run and they weren't taking it. And you know, one, will you stick to it when you do it enough? And two, will it really matter if we give you four yards here, five yards here, six yards here, seven yards here, eight yards here? And and, and ultimately, at times, it, it, it doesn't really matter um, or it hasn't mattered, but it's interesting. It's a, it's a larger discussion for sure. And that's kind of a part of it, though, right? Like, yeah, the Chiefs didn't take it, but they might have wished that they did now. Yes. You know, so that's like a that's kind of the interesting chess match of it all. I do also think part of that, though, is that they have Fooney on that line. They have Brown on that line. They have Creed Humphrey on that line. They got guys who can run block. I don't know if the Bills exactly had that this year. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, 
is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, the Bills' offensive line, well, they were beat up, too. Like, during that Jaguar game, I don't think um, the kid that they drafted, Spencer Brown, I don't think he was healthy. I think Feliciano was out, too, and he's not even really, you know, a great guard. He's he's an right. adequate guard that's out there. But before we get into Dayball, I want to bring up one thing about Kafka. It might be interesting to some people. Sure. I don't know if a lot of people know who uh, Chris Vasser on Twitter. It's uh, just Coach Vass. He has a few different podcasts, and – he had Mike Kafka on last summer on the Run Vass Option podcast. And I would go check that out. There were a lot of interesting things that Kafka talked about with the Chiefs, their preparation, their work week, and how they kind of attack every other week. I also liked how he talked about, I would say, normal coaching things that I don't feel like we've seen with the New York Giants recently. Like, you know, you have to put your guys in the optimal spot and use your personnel and tailor your offense towards your personnel. or possibly Dan, you know, don't try to fit square pegs and do round holes. And I just thought about that. And I was like, yeah, that's every coach knows that. But I'm like, do they though? Because how much did the Giants kind of misuse or, or try to force Evan Ingram to be something that he necessarily wasn't and kind of not maximize his skill set? So I like the fact that he brought that up. He also brought a bunch of other stuff, attacking second level linebackers, using a bunch of different tags off of certain plays, a bunch of stuff you would probably want to hear from an aspiring offensive coordinator, especially one that comes from the Andy Reid tree. So go and check that out if you guys want to. Yeah, definitely great content there that you should definitely look into. All right, Nick, let's also discuss this report with Patrick Graham potentially leaving the Giants. He obviously has an interview with the Raiders. Uh, so what's your thoughts on that, potentially leaving them for a, for a defensive coordinator job? That would suck because we all thought that he had the – possibility of getting that Vikings head coaching job. And if that were the case, the Giants would get a conditional third this year and a conditional third next right. year. 
but that didn't happen. So we were like, okay, well, it didn't happen. That's all well and good because we still get Patrick Graham to be, our, to be our defensive coordinator. And now it looks like he's pursuing other opportunities. Now the Giants allowed Patrick Graham to interview with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they couldn't deny him the ability to interview with the Las Vegas Raiders. We know that Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator, the former offensive coordinator of the Patriots is now the head coach of the Raiders. And he has a relationship with Patrick Graham and, Patrick Graham is in kind of a weird spot right now with the Giants where he was a part of the last staff. I'm not 100% sure if he is fully sold on joining the current regime. And if he has other options, he may pursue those other options. I think it would really suck if the Giants lost Patrick Graham at this point. Although I would love to get Vic Fangio. I, I like Wink Martindale, but I do like the ability for Brian Dayball to have Patrick Graham there. Cause I think Patrick Graham would really, really help Brian Dayball because Graham knows the personnel. He knows the team. He knows what Joe judge did wrong last year. Yeah. I think there's, it's an interesting concept because it's like one, if they lose Graham now, they're not going to get those draft picks. He's not becoming a head coach. And there's a chance that if Dayball comes in, fixes the offense, Graham has another really good season. They find one of these pass rushers or something like that early with one of these draft picks and he has an immediate impact. He could get a head coaching job next offseason, which they would then get the compensatory pick. So a lot goes into it. I've kind of expressed already, yes, there's upside with Wink, Martindale, you know, and, and some of these names that you could potentially bring in instead. But ultimately, Graham knows these players. He knows how to maximize their skill set right now. They love playing for him, and they know the system already. They don't have to learn a whole new system. Communication will be great. So I, I stand by it. If it's not a head coaching job, I want Patrick Graham to stay here. I I'm curious as to why he's even considering the Raiders job when he, you know, he said he loves to coach here. He said he, you know, loves being in with the Giants. They, they paid him handsome to stay here. I don't know if the Raiders will even offer as much. I would guess that he's going to that interview just so he can show his face to the Raiders for future, you know, considerations. So he can be like, this is who I am. This is Patrick Graham. He's done it with the Vikings already. I saw a great video. Where he was kind of just explaining who he is, why he deserves an interview. And so I feel like he wants to show face with the Raiders too and be like this, you know, I am somebody you should consider next time you need a head coach. I, this is why, you know? And so I think that's more based on what it is. I'll actually be very surprised if he does go to the Raiders. I don't know his personal feelings on everything that's going on with the Flores situation either. Cause he is close friends with Brian Flores. So that, that could factor into this. Yep, that's also a good point because the Flores connection is obviously there. So we'll see what happens with Patrick Graham. All right, one more report to get to before we dive into some tape. And that would be, and and let's just, let me start this by saying this, Nick. I want everyone in the history of the world who ever listens to our podcast to please do me a favor and take reports from the Senior Bowl and reports from the Combine with the smallest grain of salt you can find in the history. You know, go to your kitchen pour out salt onto your table, try to separate it one by one. And I would take it and, and that would be hold more weight with me than these reports from the senior bowl. But there is a report or the word at the senior bowl is the giants are looking to trade out of the number five pick overall and trade back. So one, do you think this has any legs Two, um, would you be interested in doing this? If you're in the giants, if you were the GM of the giants, I think it has legs in the sense that Joe Shane is going to consider every option and the Carolina Panthers are a team that need a quarterback. So the Giants, in theory, are a potential trade back situation. I think Shane would look into that, but I don't necessarily think Joe Shane's like, yo, look, hey, we're going to trade back. 
So like, but I do think it's definitely within the realm of possibility and I would welcome it to be honest. Now I want some of these offensive tackle prospects. I haven't watched their film extensively, so I don't want to seal that. But from everything that I've heard about them, they seem to be franchise type of tackles. And I think that's something that the New York Giants need along with Andrew Thomas, who they already have on their roster. And I also think next year's draft has top quarterback talent. So the Giants should attempt to get some more ammunition for next year's draft while also replenishing their roster that's not quite ready to compete. So I'm always about trading back, especially since they have the seventh pick as well. So they can land another blue chip or blue chip adjacent type player. So it makes sense from all those standpoints. And the fact that Carolina is right there, it's an enticing trade up spot, but I don't necessarily think that it's a certain thing that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, now here's the deal. It makes sense. Why five is even being discussed. It makes a lot of sense to me because of the fact that there are, you know, some people believe this is a four Four blue, four blue, blue, blue chip type prospect class. I don't know if that's the case. There could, you know, a case can be made. I don't know if I want to say four because I think I, I like there are players at positions that aren't valued as high, highly that I think could be in the mix there. But as far as like there are two amazing edges that'll probably be off the board before the Giants pick anyway at five. I don't think they're going to get their hands on either of them or a choice of them. And there's two, maybe three tackles that people probably put in that. Now there's a safety and there's two linebackers that will be considered inside linebackers that will be considered, but positional value probably, you know, drops them down on some people's board. So it is a position, a prime position for potential trade. I think you're right. Joe Shane will consider it. I think the other interesting thing here is that Caroline has been uber, uber, uber aggressive on the quarterback front since David Tepper took over as owner. I think he's of the mindset that you need to keep swinging at quarterback until you get it right. And you have no chance to really go anywhere consistently for any long period of time without the quarterback. And with that in mind, obviously, I think that he might consider making a move, especially like, you know, people are saying it's Kenny Pickett. I don't know necessarily. I'm not so sure it's definitely Kenny Pickett. It could also be for Malik Willis. You know, if he, if his guys fall in love with Willis, they think they can come up with a system for Willis, especially because they've said in the past, like they fired Joe Brady because he wasn't running the ball enough. You can design a really fun run first offense with Malik Willis and Christian McCaffrey in the backfield every snap. Like it could be a super suit. And then you have like DJ Moore coming in motion every snap. That's a super fun run based offense, similar to what Baltimore has done with Lamar Jackson. Like anyone who drafts Malik Willis, that's what I would do. I'd follow the Greg Roman blueprint early on, get him easy throws, have it be mostly run first, have him run a ton because he can run. He can really, really run Malik Willis. I mean, he's tough in the open field. He breaks tackles. He's agile. He's got good cuts. And then you have Christian McCaffrey, too. And you run like a zone read-based offense, just like Lamar does. You got to account for McCaffrey or Malik. So just some things to throw out. I'm with you. Uh, I'm not so sure it's going to happen, but I'm open to it because I still think they can get one of the tackles at seven, and then they pick up a, a first-rounder for next year in addition to whatever you know pick Carolina gives them where they can still get another talented player. Instead of all of those nice things you said about the Carolina offense, they're going to get a bunch of slant flats and the majority of 11 personnel. Well, I forgot. It is Ben McAdoo, which throws <laughs> the whole wrench into all this. Like, he wants to run first, but he's going to be high. He hires Ben McAdoo. Uh, that, like, I don't know what's going on with that. It, like, Mac McAdoo doesn't seem to fit at all. In McAdoo's defense, he always wanted a mobile quarterback. So yeah. Malik Willis fits that. And honestly, Kenny Pickett can move too, man. Like yes. he gets out on those bootlegs, dude. And he can throw well on the run from everything that I've seen. I, I want to dive into those 
quarterbacks films. I haven't dove into the films. I watched them at the senior bowl and you can see that Pickett can, can kind of, you know, get into that bootleg. He can throw off platform. I, I honestly thought his arm was going to be weaker. I thought his arm was a little bit more lively than, than advertised before. And now I don't think it's as strong or as alive as someone like Malik Willis. I did come away a little bit more intrigued with his just overall arm and his ability to kind of attack the seams and, and all of those types of uh, throws from, from Kenny Pickett. But I'm personally not interested in Kenny Pickett for the New York Giants. And this is a whole other discussion I'm sure we'll dive into. And just from what I've seen, now I could be convinced once I dive into his film, but as for Malik Willis, just because of the traits that you see, I think he has that elite potential. It's just not quite there yet. Now, again, need to watch the film, but uh, I don't know, man. When you talk about elite traits, there are some that Malik Willis has that definitely cause intrigue. For sure. And that's going to be a larger discussion as we get deeper into draft season. I've seen three games from Willis. They were all from 2020 where he was a much better quarterback because he didn't have a collapse of an offensive line and he didn't have the disaster that was the Liberty football team around him this year. Uh, I've seen two games from Pickett, both from 2021. I'm with you as of now. Now, again, I don't want to make any declarations until we watch more film or I watch more film and you as well. But just from a traits-based standpoint of what I've seen in five total games, three from Willis and two from Pickett, I'm not interested in using five or seven on Pickett. As of now, I'm not really interested in using five or seven on Willis either. Now, I think that there are issues with Willis, mostly for me, mechanical. Now, again, that was the same thing for Josh Allen, and Brian Dayball did a really good job fixing him, and not just Dayball, whoever was you know part of that process, Jordan Palmer, before the draft and during the offseasons, Ken Dorsey, for what it's worth, whatever role he played in it. But having said that, I think that he also has some pocket issues. Again, Allen had the similar ones, but he's not the same athlete as Allen. He's not the same size. He doesn't have the same kind of arm, even though he does have the most live arm in this class. It's not Josh Allen level arm. So while he does have, while I think he's the only one with lead upside, I'd be more willing to gamble on him at the back end of round one, as of now at least. Yeah, I think that's fair. And all of this can change. This process is very, very fluid. Yep, I totally agree. All right, now let's dive into some things we learned from watching Brian Dayball's tape, the tape of Dayball. Now, obviously, he's the coach, the offensive coordinator. It's not his tape. It's Josh Allen or whoever you want to give the credit to. But we did try to dive through it and see some things that we like. So talk about the first game you want to dive into, Nick, and some, some concepts that stood out to you. First off, I watched Pittsburgh. I watched Jacksonville. I watched Washington games. So these aren't the the top-end games. I wanted to see some of the games that that – they didn't win or they didn't dominate. Now, Washington, they did. But Pittsburgh and, and Jacksonville were both surprise losses. They played Pittsburgh in week one, remember. So that was a, a game where everyone kind of bet, okay, Bills are at home. They're going to beat Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's over the hill. And Pittsburgh came in. Yeah, they were a big survivor team that week. <laughs> I know, which was devastating for a lot of people, I'm sure. But you got to give a lot of credit to Keith Butler, man, because – after I watched that Pittsburgh game, I thought Butler did a good job in the defense. They just played disciplined football and won the trenches by pressuring Josh Allen. But Buffalo had opportunities in that game that were set up by the coaching staffs, and the execution just wasn't really perfect. I felt like Dayball set his team up, but they failed to maximize, specifically on the second and 14 vertical shot in the first quarter with 528 left. It was on the second drive. The Buffalo Bills ran a switch release versus a two-read coverage, and I believe it was Palms. Now, basically, that means it's it's not cover four, spot drop. We're just going to you know fall to an area. The safeties are reading and they're reacting, and it's a match defense. So you're going to wait for the route distribution to be declared by the receivers off the line of scrimmage where their stems are going, and then the 
defense needs to be very communicative and execute their assignments to cover said receivers. It's we can do a whole podcast on this type of stuff, but anyways, the Steelers were in this palms type of look. And I felt like Brian Dayball called an excellent palms type of beater with the switch release with the number three switching to the number two, once the routes were distributed and he was wide open downfield and it was just missed. It was overthrown to digs. And there was another play, a second and three, second quarter, 11, 17 left where they ran a corner post route to digs that could have been DPI. And that was against cover two. I felt like Edmonds from the backside played it well, but it was open against that coverage. And I look at those two plays and I'm like, those are plays designed to defeat that specific coverage in a situation where they may have expected that coverage. But they should have if the execution was just a little cleaner and it just wasn't. And I've also saw Allen missed a streaking Emmanuel Sanders wide open on the last play of the third quarter for whatever reason, he was glued to the backside on Gabriel Davis comeback route, but Sanders was open then. And then Sanders also dropped a beautifully thrown seam ball against cover three. You want to attack cover three, you can attack the seams. So there were opportunities there that the coaching staff put their players in the right position, but the players just didn't execute. Yeah, and I think it's interesting from that game because obviously he he struggled, but it wasn't. It was kind of before they, I don't want to say had the book out, but had adjusted defenses to playing them a certain way. So the Steelers kind of found a different way to beat them. But um, yeah, but it's definitely an interesting to interesting key game to take away. Anything else from that game that stood out to you? But yeah, man, I like the second half adjustments that Brian Dayball implemented. He definitely told Josh Allen, "Look, they're playing too deep." They're dropping into deep zones, take those little check downs. And I felt like Josh Allen was taking those check downs, just taking what the defense was giving him. And that's what you got to do when you can't attack vertically. And it was a big problem for Buffalo. They couldn't really get the ball vertical and actually connect. And they had opportunities, but they just couldn't connect. And that's the big issue there. Josh Allen just didn't really play well. I mean, I think this was the second most pressure they saw in the season. Allen was pressured on 34.5% of his dropbacks, which is insane. I think the only one that was more was the Jag game that we'll probably go over here in a little bit. I felt like there was a big third and three situation in the second half where Josh Allen had Cole Beasley wide open on a screen and he would have got it due to all the leverage of the defense. And Josh Allen just put it right in the dirt. He was just a little bit erratic. And those are things that Brian Dayball can't necessarily control. Yeah, no doubt about it. One thing that I've noticed with Dayball that I wanted to kind of touch on with you and go over a little bit would be that he used, likes to use a lot of empty formation. And I think empty, as I talked out in the past, is something that makes it easier for the quarterback. You can use motion to kind of diagnose and figure out what's going to be open and what's there and what's not. And, you know, if they're in man or zone. And I feel like there's a lot of different ways that, you know, it helps a quarterback get pre-snap information that he needs. And at times it can also open up running lanes for the quarterback. Like we've seen with Josh Allen and like we could see with Daniel Jones. Did you notice that in any, any of these games that you went over? Saw that a little bit later in the year, but I didn't feel like they used that too often early in the season, but you definitely saw it down the playoffs. They really started using Josh Allen's legs a lot more. I think that will definitely be something that Dayball implements with Daniel Jones, depending on Daniel Jones's health, of course. But I think having an athletic quarterback to pair with someone like Brian Dayball is definitely something that's going to unlock the potential of the offense. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's an easy way for the Giants to create yards downfield as well. Um, when, you know, things don't, when things break down and there's not obviously an, you know, an easy solution in the passing game. Absolutely, man. And they, I mean, in terms of like route combinations, bro, they were using stick, which a lot of people don't like to, to hear, but it was 
it was used correctly. You know what I'm saying? You stick bender, you know, read the linebacker, put him in conflict. If he drops to get the bender, you hit the stick. If he sinks on the stick, then you hit the bender. Those are good route combinations. You know, a lot of smash type of concepts, which are excellent. A smash concept is where the number one receiver runs a little hitch or a pivot or something like that. Something that's going to keep that one deep one third. If it's a cover three cornerback up near the line of scrimmage, and then you hit a seven route over the top of them. They're great cover two beaters. They're, they're excellent calls. I feel like we didn't see that too much with Jason Garrett, to be honest, but smash is an excellent concept that I felt like I saw several times throughout the three games that I watched. And uh, in terms of the Jacksonville game, if you want to know about that one, man, that was just a uh, wild because the, the Buffalo bills were just so penalized in that game. They were very, very undisciplined. They had 12 penalties for 118 yards and they completely abandoned the run in that game. I mean, other than Josh Allen scrambling, they only ran the ball nine times. And this was a very, very competitive game. And this was also a game where the the Bills could have scored so many times, I felt like, in the second half. They were driving down the field, but they would just turn the football over because the Bills' offensive line was terrible. Like Josh Allen and Dewan Smoot look like Lawrence Taylor out there. Bro. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about quarterback Josh Allen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The player, Josh Allen, he had an unreal game. I think we had like, what do you have, four sacks in that game? He had a f- interception, a forced fumble, and a bunch of sacks in that game. I'm not sure exactly how many, but he literally just dominated that offensive line that did not have Spencer Brown, did not have John Feliciano. Like I said, I mean, Allen was pressured on 38.2% of his dropbacks. And from, I know, man, and from a coverage standpoint, though, they were just playing cover two and cover three and just adjusting pre to post snap. So you didn't know which right. one they were going to be in. They disguised it well. I felt like they used a lot of exotic pressure looks where they would have Josh Allen they would have a creeper from the other side. So basically in a sim pressure type of situation, you have a nickelback or a linebacker who's going to blitz, but it doesn't look like they're going to blitz pre-snap. And then they would drop Josh Allen off into coverage. So they, they did that from an exotic standpoint, but it's not like they were just blitzing and blitzing. They were winning with four and then dropping everybody else into deep zones. And I felt like Brian Dayball didn't necessarily do a great job adjusting there and taking what the defense was giving him like he did back in Pittsburgh and also straying away from the run definitely hurt them in that environment where they were just trying to pass the ball under immense pressure. I mean, sometimes you got to run the football to slow down that pass rush. Though I do wonder if they would have been able to run the ball in that game, um, just given their issues on the offensive line or if it was just kind of a a waste. I mean, I agree you got to slow it down, but there are different ways to do it. Obviously operating the screen game, like you said, it wasn't as easy to do based on obviously the issues on the line, the injuries, but also just like little leak out passes and different ways to kind of use it. But I I agree with you. There are definitely adjustments that he probably could have made in that game that they all could have made. But when you have those issues on the offensive line, as we've seen with the giants and the pressure rate is that high and they're getting there that well, while still playing like cover two, cover three, it's, it's tough to beat. Yeah. It's very tough to beat. I know, man, but I do like some things from, from those games that I watch. And again, I didn't go and watch like the Patriot wildcard game where Dayball just blew the doors off of the new England Patriots, but there were still things that you can glean first off, like any offensive coordinator, you saw different splits, man. Like sometimes these guys would be aligned five yards and plus splits outside of the numbers. Sometimes they were in condensed splits. I felt like the splits dictated the routes whereas like you were running the correct routes out of said splits if you're going to run an outbreaking route your splits are usually inside i felt like the routes were really really cohesive whereas 
all these route combinations had high lows built in. It was going to put a defender in conflict, whether that is a safety, whether that is a linebacker, whether that is a curl flat player. So I like the varying of tempo that Brian Dayball used. You know, sometimes he would speed it up. Sometimes he would slow it down depending on the context of the game. I just, I was impressed with the scheme. I was impressed with his ability to use his personnel and maximize his personnel, you know, use Gabriel Davis's ability to stretch the field vertically. And trust me, they did that. Same with Emmanuel Sanders. You use Cole Beasley over the middle of the field, use him on the screen game. Isaiah McKenzie put him in the backfield to, in, in split back looks to really stress the defense. I saw Cole Beasley in the backfield a couple of different times. And then as far as route combinations, you know, two by two sets, I saw a lot of stick slant and then seam hitch an outpost and then a seven pivot in the backfield. You know, your wheel digs out, you have a hitch, a clear out, double vertical. That's another thing I loved is Dayball loves to stretch the field vertically. And he also will stretch the field horizontally too. So you get caught in man coverage and you have those crossers because there's mesh concepts built in there. There's RPO glance. I mean, they ran a bunch of RPOs with Josh Allen. I mean, a lot of different plays. He would just go into the mesh point with Devin Singletary and then look to see what that you know, what that linebacker is doing to see if that glance route, that little quick slant off the line of scrimmage, look, see what he's doing. So you saw a lot of two by two, three by one, a lot of empty as well. Those are going to be combinations that are going to be pretty common in, in offense. It's common in most offenses, to be honest. Didn't see a lot of, you know, 21 personnel or anything like that, but I do like the usage of the personnel and the fact that he would use his wide receivers, not too much, but he would use his wide receivers in the backfield. And trust me, Kadarius Tony, he's going to be used everywhere. Kadarius is somebody who definitely won when the Giants hired Brian Dable. Yeah. And, and with Kafka, they won, they won, they won in that sense as well. I feel like Kafka is going to be good for him as well. So yeah, for sure. That'll be interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you about and something we saw at times with, obviously with, with Jason Garrett, though, not always. I feel like when I noticed watching Dayball on film is when he does use play action, which he does tend to do a lot, which we love, which I love heavy play action teams are the best teams. When he does use play action, he does a good job of using max protect and he does. And that's going to be key, especially for the giants as their offensive line kind of moves along and, and tries to get better, but he does tend to use max protect as well, which is big. Um, so what are your thoughts on uh, that? Do you think that that's a good, that he does a good job of that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I thought Jason Garrett did as well, but max protect for Jason blocking with five for a normal team. And that's not a shot on Jason Garrett. It's a shot at the Giants offensive line last year, but that's just the reality of the situation. And the Bills, man, they, they ranked first in, in play action passes last year. Right. You know, Josh Allen, he would, because the thing about Josh Allen, man, it doesn't always have to be in the pocket. You can roll him out. He could throw on the run. He's always a threat when he gets out of the pocket, when he gets out of structure. So you had a play action rollout going one way and you have the defense flowing in that direction. Then you have Gabriel Davis or Cole Beasley coming from that same direction across all of their faces. It's going to be hard to guard as on a horizontal stretch type of cross. And then you add the vertical element of a Stefan Diggs or a Gabriel Davis on the other side. You're typically with that kind of personnel you and with Josh Allen's arm, you have the possibility of hitting a really huge play. The play action passing game of Brian Dayball's offense last year was very, very dangerous. And that's something that we saw in that Chiefs loss in the divisional round when he hit Gabriel Davis on that Mills concept, man, because you had the bender with Dawson Knox just occupy that safety just long enough and he just hit Gabriel Davis over the top. Now, I don't think Daniel Jones can make that type of throw. Not necessarily a slight on Daniel Jones because Josh Allen has an alien arm. And the fact that he was able to connect on that pass still just wows me, to be honest. And they can do similar things with Galladay as the vertical element and kind of Tony stretching it horizontally. I'm interested to see that. One thing I definitely like from watching the film is just the uh, just the simple fact that 
he's going to use mesh a lot more than we saw with Jason Garrett. That's a that's definitely a way that and he uses pre snap motion obviously as well in regards to that. But I feel like they're going to use more mesh now with Brian Dable. I don't know what is your feel on that. Absolutely. If you look at the Dolphins game, because I I didn't watch the entire Dolphins game, but I watched some of those Dolphins games, you see how many man beaters are built into that. Now, every offense has man and zone beaters built into specific plays, but I really felt like Brian Dayball did a very good job attacking the defensive coordinator of the team that he was opposing. And throughout those games, man, there were so many wheel routes from the running back. There were so many mesh type of concepts. There were so many pick type of routes, rub type of routes to get free releases against man coverage and force a cornerback to work over the top of a receiver's stem who's just acting basically as a blocker. There were so many man beaters against the Miami Dolphins because everybody knew that Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins ran so much man coverage. So I love the fact that he really, really had that in his playbook because he was aware of the fact, and like a lot of offense coordinators are, but I think some do a better job than others. I think Brian Dayball does a pretty good job at this. He was aware that they were going to employ a lot of man coverage. So we're going to take advantage of that and get our guys open, scheme them open. And that's exactly what he did. Yep. All right. What else did anything else from you on the film? A few podcasts ago, we discussed how at Alabama, when he was the offensive coordinator there, he ran a lot of power gap and he had success because Alabama is Alabama and they could just out muscle people. But then once he got to the NFL, he kind of had to adjust those power gap concepts in those first couple of years, in those first couple, I guess you could say weeks, because it wasn't necessarily working with the personnel the Buffalo Bills had. So we transitioned to a more zone-based approach, and he started using Josh Allen's ability uh, in the zone read game. But I felt like at the end of this season, when teams were aligning in more tight fronts and everything like that, they were incorporating that power gap scheme again to success. And Devin Singletary did a pretty good job with yeah. that to do that. So I like the fact that he was able to kind of retinker and retool the running game. And supposedly it's because Sean McDermott really wanted them to run the football more. He was able to retinker it, retool it, and actually have some success with the running game. So that's one thing I did like. Again, I, I still think he strayed away from the run in certain games. I know people who cover the Bills, that was some of their concerns with Brian Dayball as well. But at the end of the day, man, if he can have the passing attack, that the Buffalo Bills had, which is going to be really difficult with the current state of the New York Giants and the fact that they don't have Josh Allen. But if he can stretch the field vertically, stretch it horizontally, and maximize the receiving weapons, the solid receiving weapons that the Giants have, then I'm going to be damn happy. And I think a running game and Saquon Barkley can really help that. And I kind of wanted to get your take on Saquon Barkley in this. Now, he might not be a New York Giant next season. that, That could happen. But let's say that he is. How interested are you in seeing how Brian Dayball's offense is going to change because they have a dynamic running back like Saquon Barkley. I am interested because he made it a point of saying, I'm going to craft this offense around Daniel Jones versus the offense he crafted around Josh Allen. But how much of an impact does Saquon Barkley come or play when it comes to crafting that offense, right? Like we don't know that right now, what his thoughts are on Barkley's role within this offense and what it should be. And so that's something I'm going to be interested in seeing. And if they make any kind of investment in the draft with their multiple day two and three picks at the running back position, that's where you can usually find some talent. They can reset the rookie clock there, move on from Saquon's contract next year um, in the injury history as well. And so it'll be interesting to see because if they're going to craft an offense a certain way around the, uh, the, the talent they have, Will that talent be there for Dable, you know, in 2023, right? Or I'm sorry, in 20, yeah, 2023. Will that talent still be there for him? That I don't know because obviously there's no long, there's no telling if uh, the future for Daniel Jones will be with the Giants or for Saquon Barkley. So 
I'll be interested to see that. I, I, I don't really know right now how they're going to, how that whole thing is going to play out, I guess I should say. Um, but I do want to ask you something else that I saw in your notes. You said there was that, that you noticed Dayball using a lot of horizontal RPOs uh, in his offense. Talk about that because we've discussed ourselves, like how important it is for the Giants to give Daniel Jones RPO opportunities, obviously something that we feel strongly about. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so a horizontal RPO, I was talking about it a little earlier, like a glance route is a horizontal RPO. You have a wide receiver breaking horizontally because other type of RPOs, you have a bubble, which is also an RPO. You can do the stretch, look at the backside, you have the bubble. That's not as horizontal. You're not breaking across the field. So essentially the thought is an RPO. So it's a run pass option. You're going to have the running back go into the mesh point. Your guys are going to run block up front. Hopefully they don't get too far down the field. So if you throw the football, you get flagged. But you're going to have your wide receiver release off the line of scrimmage and run a glance route, run a slant, run a drag, run something like that, something quick to where Josh Allen, right when he catches the football, put his puts his hands out, Devin Singletary goes into the mesh point, and then he reads one defender, usually a second-level defender, and you see what that individual is doing. If that individual bites up to play the run, you hit the glance route behind his head. If that individual sinks underneath the, the glance route, then you hand the football off to Devin Singletary, and now you don't have that defender totally focused in the box. So it's just putting the defense in conflict. But what I meant by horizontal RPOs are those in-breaking routes, those quick reads, read one defender, put him in conflict, attack the opposite of what he's executing. Yep. And that's going to be a good good thing to kind of use the athleticism of the talent they have with Jones and Barkley and maybe even Tony. So definitely some interesting concepts for sure that we're going to see Dayball hopefully carry over. Anything else on Dayball before we sign off? I also liked his red zone packages, and I put a bunch of clips up on Twitter a couple weeks ago of how he put how he put a defender in conflict in multiple ways. He did it against the Houston Texans against Justin Reed, obvious man coverage. I love how Dayball uses some sort of pre-snap movement, some sort of pre-snap motion to not only jumble the assignments of match defenses, but also identify if the team is in straight cover one man coverage, because a lot of times you drag a, you know, another defender across from one side of the formation to the other, you can identify, okay, this is man coverage. I know where my man beaters are. So I know where my first read should be based on the coverage that I expect to see. So I felt like he did a lot of that and he did that as well in the red zone. Now there were times where they kind of bogged down in the red zone. Josh Allen plays off script, but the one that really comes to mind is the New England game, but that was also under incredible just just rain and wind and kind of an anomalous type of game. So I'm not I don't really want to hold that against them, but I don't know if it's I don't know if that's me kind of being a little bit lenient. I know a lot of people in Buffalo were were really at that point questioning Brian Dayball, but at the end of the day, he kind of helped get that team to the divisional round of the playoffs while also just blowing the absolute doors off of that same Patriots team in the wild card round. And now he's the head coach of the New York Giants. I, after watching the film, man, I'm intrigued with the offense. I think the red zone efficiency was really good. That is also because they have excellent red zone weapons and Josh Allen is their quarterback. At the end of the day, him and Kafka are a decision that should definitely make Giant fans happy because we've seen two years of just inept offense. And I'm hoping that's going to change. And I think it will change once the personnel is upgraded a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right. That's all we have for today. Thank you again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Obviously, make sure you check out Nick's Senior Bowl recap as well. We'll be back next week, and we'll definitely have more content moving forward, draft-related and everything else. So thank you to everybody 
who has taken the time to listen and leave a review and rating on iTunes. We saw all them flying in and we really do appreciate that as well. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.